0: Welcome to From the Valley Podcast with your host, Tim Wilshire. Welcome along. It's the last day of September 2019. This is the ninth podcast I've done this month. I've gone a bit crazy this month of September. Um, and today we've got on the podcast uh, a, a, a huge supporter of the Valley Chamber of Commerce, uh, the face of uh, 97.3 FM as far as the Valley Chamber of Commerce, are concerned. Jamie Wood. Welcome along.
1: Thank you, mate. Good to be here.
0: That's excellent. So, um, I guess uh, just just capping up where we're up to at the moment. Uh, had a, quite a few things on over the weekend, Jamie. We had the AFL Grand Final, which was a, a fairly one-sided affair. Did you watch that, mate? I actually didn't, unfortunately. Well, fort- oh, fortunately or unfortunately, because it was a bit of a, a bit of a whitewash for the yes. Tigers. I mean, my, obviously, I support the Tigers, I but saw that, yeah. we would have loved to. Have probably a bit more competitive second, third, fourth quarter from the other team. GWS it was a blowout in the end. So, uh, well done to the Tigers, nonetheless. Um, rugby Union Australia Wales. Did you watch that at all? No, mate. I I, I can't say that I watched
1: any sport on the weekend. I, I was one of those boring corporate drones who spent both days in the office. Oh, really? <laughs> so working
0: hard. Working hard. Yeah. There you go. That's that's what it's like in the, the radio game. You got to work. Sometimes <laughs> you got to work uh, seven days a week. Maybe I don't know. But uh, very close game, but Australia ended up just not doing enough in the first half. Did well in the second half, and they, and they lost by four, I think, in the end. So it was pretty close, Wales and Australia. Um, so that was quite interesting. Obviously, the NRL grand fi- uh, semifinals, or pre- preliminary finals, whatever they call no, them. Preliminaries, yeah. So is yeah. in, and also the Roosters are in, into the grand final. will be played next Sunday. So that's a bit of a recap on the weekend of sports here. Uh, I guess how we start the podcast, Jamie, is we sort of dwell, I guess, into what sort of led you to be here as far as, you know, wh- what did you get up to in early life? So whereabouts were you born and what was family life like for you? Sure. Uh, born in
1: Gunnedah, New South Wales, uh, which is probably most famous for being the hometown of uh, Miranda Kerr. I think that might be the claim to fame. It's about an hour out of Tamworth. And uh, you know, it's, it's regional Australia basically. So I was born there, spent uh, the first six years of my life there. Uh, and around the time, I think it was around my first or second year of primary school, uh, we actually relocated up to Brisbane. Um, this was my mum and I. So uh, born, born to a single mum, uh, raised, raised by mum predominantly, but obviously still saw dad, because he was from there too. And uh, moved up to Brisbane following mum's work Spent a bit of time up in Brisbane, moved back down to New South Wales to the Hunter Valley and uh, that sort of region, a place called Curry Curry, which isn't too far out of Mainland. And moved down there until I was about nine or ten and then moved back up to Brisbane in uh, later primary school. Yes, yeah, so I guess you spent most of your life here in Brisbane then? Well, yeah, I've had some stints away, but for the most part, Brisbane is home. I mean, my wife's a Brisbane girl. Uh, this is where we will absolutely settle. And uh, it's certainly what I would call home now. You know, my family now live here. My sister lives here. So we've got some good roots here. And it's definitely the city that I have the, the, the network of friends into.
0: Excellent. So what sort of, uh, I guess, hobbies did you get up to as a youngster? Did you play any sport or did, were you into music pretty young or...?
1: Yeah, played, played the regular sports like everybody. Um, for the most part, always got into sort of running, athletics, long-distance running. So used to compete in things like 800-metre running, 1,500 metres, cross-country. Um, interestingly, still still to this day, big runner. It's a big part of my, my sort regime. Yeah,
0: I definitely used to be, definitely in my younger days, I was, I was a bit of a runner as well. Yeah. Um, I came from Tasmania. Uh, so in Tasmania, I think... Um, wasn't that many people that lived there, but I think I came about third or fourth in the 800 meters statewide or something right? back back in the day, and I was a good cross country runner. Sometimes finished in the top ten in cross country, so. There'd be some good trails down uh, there in. Uh, but in as, as you get older, you know things things sort of change a little bit, and not obviously it hasn't kept up the the. Um, the running as much as what what you have done. I mean, I've done the Bris to Brisbane once, and that was probably uh, probably enough for me. Yeah, right. I haven't done the Bridge to Brisbane I every year sort of look at it,
1: but the normal run I do around sort of where I live, or you know, which is in the valley, yeah, it is, is probably modelled around the Bridge to Brizzy course. So it's about ten to ten between ten and fifteen k's, depending on which way I go. And you probably do that in pretty good time. Would you sort of round about about an hour or about an hour? Yeah, I um. I wouldn't say that I I give it too much though. You know, I I like to get in and cruise. I think the thing about running for me from a fitness standpoint is it's great. Obviously it's great for keeping you in good fitness and keeping the fat down. Um, And certainly the lifestyle that I lead with a lot of client entertainment and whatnot, it's probably more just maintaining that. But I use it mentally as well. I use it as time certainly to listen to podcasts, but also just time to probably compartmentalize the the day, you know, whether it's uh, waking up early and, Sort of using it as a way to energise for the day, or even using it after a fairly hectic day at work to make sure I don't sort of come into the uh, come into the rest of my evening with work stuff on my mind. It's kind
0: of a reset. Yeah, it's a good way, I guess, to to sort of take your mind a little bit away from. Uh, what I guess what's going on at work perhaps yeah Um, so it's a way and and obviously you need to keep your it's a good way to keep your fitness up if you enjoy doing that and Mm. uh, getting out there and exploring I mean I guess you do different routes you wouldn't always do the Mm. same route or you just
1: yeah, no, a common like a variation of different ones. Yeah, yeah, but it's um, it's funny. I had a an injury on my knee for a little while about three years ago, where I could still exercise and I still do train at a at a gym, but I couldn't run. And I remember thinking, you know, I'm definitely getting the exercise through doing other other sort of activities, but I was amazed at just mentally how foggy my brain started to feel and just stress, stress resistant, you know, I was feeling a lot less stress resistant. So it's, it's interesting running, you know, I think it's an hour, you might have an issue that you're working through, an hour later, you've got mental clarity and you're feeling a lot, you just feel a lot better, you know, there's no new data coming in, but suddenly mm. all's well in the world after a good run.
0: Yeah. So as a youngster, did you sort of, were you, did you sort of play many musical instruments um, sort of in the younger in the younger days, yeah, all? I did indeed. Like, um,
1: probably from the time I was about twelve or thirteen, I took a real interest in music. And uh, oddly enough, people ask me why I selected the bass guitar as the the instrument to play, and. I can't really give you an answer why. Um, it was just one of those things where that certain instruments speak to certain people, that was just an in- instrument that really spoke to me. You know, a lot of the bands I listened to, a lot of the uh, the members of the bands I really admired were bass players. So I took up playing bass somewhat half-heartedly at, at the age of 12 or 13, took it up more seriously at about 15 and, and still continue to play it to this day, I'm now 33. So, um, did the maths the other day on how long I'd actually been playing and thought, wow, I'm probably not as good of a player as I should be considering how
0: long I've played it and how seriously I've played it. I guess is there a bit of a fair bit of enjoyment there obviously playing it if you continue to do so all these years? Yeah, I mean for a brief while there after uni and
1: during uni, um, we really, I was playing in a band at the time, we really made a go of doing it full time. We were certainly close to it, we were earning money. Know from music and that's good. You know, we were getting a bit of airplay and we were certainly doing some big shows. Um, but the difficult part for me was always making enough money for it to sustain us longer term, and probably not going down the route of playing you know covers, musics in in pubs or anything. We we were always doing our own original music and trying to release our own original music. So it was a something of a serious hobby that I did for many years, you know, was playing live in, in the Valley. It's interesting, we were talking about the the Fortitude uh, Music Hall, you know, I remember being 16, 17, playing gigs in the Valley in, uh, you know, the Indie Temple and Rick's and the Troubadour and some of these kind of older venues that uh, weren't really there or haven't really been there, you know, there hasn't been that live music scene in the Valley for many years after we finished until recently it feels like big sound and some of these events recently where i've gone and had a peek, it's it's really one of those it's almost revitalized that area as a as a genuine live music
0: precinct Mm. so the last few years have you actually sort of had a bit of a look at the bands at big sound have you had a bit bit of a is that something that sort of interested you yeah and what have you liked from what you've seen
1: Uh, There's a great artist called, and I've got to uh, admit a bias here because I actually have played a few gigs with her, great artist called uh, Laura Frank, who's sort of a female country artist. Um, She played a showcase there. She's a brizzy girl, really good songwriter, great
0: image, very, very talented. Um, Tones and I, who's blowing up at the moment. She's blowing up big time. Mm. I did see her at the start of the month when they had it on it. Big Sound. Um, playing on Sunday at the Triffid. Got yeah. Tickets. yeah. Did she... Um, I think she may have been pre-game entertainment at the grand final. She too. did two songs the, at the
1: AFL grand final as well, yeah. So, funny story, I played a gig a year ago to the day pretty much at uh, the Met of all places on so, the uh, So 256 uh, Wickham Street. That's the one, yeah. Yep. And this was a raw Artist Showcase. So it was a combination of musical acts... Uh, There was a little bit of sort of fashion. There was certainly artists putting their work on display. So it was this fantastic event, really, really... uh, I think the concept had come from like Austin or somewhere like that, sort of like a South by Southwest kind of vibe, but a much smaller scale. Mm. Um, And interestingly, we played... I I got booked to play with an artist just as a bass player. Um, We played about five or six songs.
0: So who was that? Which artist? Uh,
1: That was a girl called Laura Louise. Laura Louise. So played with her... And then directly after that, uh, Tones and I played, and this was right before she actually started to. You know, she's she's obviously in the last six months really started to blow up. It's one of Since one about of, February, really, yeah. Pretty much, yeah. So this was, this was. I, I don't think anyone in the venue when she when she walked up because she's got a very unassuming image. You know, she's very um,
0: very quirky. She's got kind of streetwear. The story I'd heard is they discovered her busking or something like exactly, that. exactly busking. What yeah. have even mean, busking around the time of uh, Big Sound last year, yeah. I so, heard, not so, that I saw it.
1: Well, watching her play, I mean, I've, I've been, you know, obviously in the live music scene for many years, to get up on stage as a solo artist with a loop pedal and two synth, you know, synth, she's a synth player as well, to produce the sound she was, was just absolutely phenomenal. I think she had the whole room captivated for the whole set, so yeah, not surprised she's blowing up at the moment. It's good to see someone like that, you know, who does have a very unique style and a very individual or I should say very original
0: style Um, and such such a sort of unique voice Mm. Uh, and she's the I think I read I heard somewhere that she's uh, because she's been number one on the ARIA charts for more than a month and that's the first time that's happened for an Australian female solo artist since Colin Mm. Minogue is that right wow Locomotion or something wow there you go so she's uh, deservedly you know absolutely I mean she's an act she's an act that could translate to a big festival stage you know quite easily and then and she opened up um, i wasn't there but i heard she opened up splendor in the grass to the biggest crowd of all time it was wow. like that you know around splendor of the grass uh, well, we wish her well it was uh, mm. it was nice to see her early on mm, definitely so you obviously got an it's good when you get an inside vibe before these sort of bands blow up i remember seeing a few of these going back to the about 2013 or 2014 or I remember going to the zoo the zoos are quite a, a small little yep small little venue and you just had um, you had broods Jared James and Easton. all that's before anyone knew, knew these three um, band, you know uh, acts so it's, it's amazing that you can see them before they become really famous yeah it was funny the zoo having played the, the stage <laughs> on the zoo before it, it was sort of
1: it's sort of one of those launch pad venues you know you you play the smaller venues the zoo is one you work up to you can pack the zoo out typically the next step for a band is to attempt and this is you know now that the arena is no longer sort of there you would really attempt to
0: try and level up to the tivoli yeah so the zoo was always Tivoli's a, a, i mean that's a great venue to aspire towards um if mm. any sort of following you want to get to there uh yeah so that, that this is great great uh, conversation but i guess coming back to mr jamie wood yeah <laughs> 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 um I guess, tell us a bit how you got, I guess, your early career, what was your first job that you had, Jamie? Uh, first job was a
1: paper route, actually. Um, so my, my stepdad uh, ran a construction company for many years, and so when him and my mum got together, he instilled a really good work, work ethic in me at a young age. So I was, um, I would have been 11 or 12 with a paper route, you know, it was 450, 500 papers that I needed to deliver um, in the space of about 12 hours on a Thursday night. Um, so that's kind of my first job job in terms of my first professional job. Um, I did a did a really interesting kind of um, jump into a few different fields. I mean I worked in uh, worked in a couple of different professional fields. I did a business degree, so I tried to sort of try my hand in uh, recruitment for a while. Didn't really like the industry. Um, Still probably don't, to be honest. No disrespect to any recruiters out there. It's an interesting industry recruitment, isn't it? It just didn't feel Mm -hmm. like it added a whole hell of a lot of value, um, personally. But my first sort of, I guess, real foray into the career was was selling uh, the radio station 4KQ Direct at 23, so that was my first step into media, certainly my first step into my professional career, and uh, you know that was now almost exactly ten years ago that I started that.
0: Excellent. So that's how you sort of got your start, I guess, into being in, and obviously working for the Australian radio network. Um, about how many years there? Seven, eight. Yeah, I mean, I think I think my current position. I've
1: been back in Brisbane now for for about four years, yep. but I did a stint prior to that in Adelaide for two years with mm-hmm. the same company. Yep. And then prior to that, um, got three or four years. So yeah, about that.
0: Yeah, okay. So it, obviously it sounds like it's probably a great place to work, you obviously stuck there that long. Uh, tell us a bit about what you, I mean, from I guess the Valley Chamber of Commerce point of view, you sort of are the face of uh, you know 97.3 in Brisbane. Um, tell us about, I guess, what that sort of role, how sort of evolved over time, and and uh, I guess what what's it like sort of you know being a sales professional in the space of radio, and and what what are sort of uh, the expect, you know, what are you sort of seeing out there? I guess. Sure. So yeah, my position is um, sales director of
1: Brisbane agency, and so basically what my job is. Is I run the sales team that look after most of the big national marquee clients out of Brisbane, and as part of that, we obviously have a relationship with all the advertising agencies in Brisbane. Now, part of I guess my remit is to is to lead that team. So, within that team, you know, there's the sales managers, there's account directors, there's certain um, commercial. Functions like strategy, integration, yep. sales, operations, admin, etc. So first and foremost, my job is basically just to lead to lead that team, yep. and our job is to generate revenue for our network. Um, why I potentially got involved in the Valley Chamber and why I'm probably so active in terms of networking in the community is that we don't have a general manager in this market. Uh, We have, I guess, a market leadership team, which comprises of myself and two others. And so the expectation is that you're out in the marketplace flying the flag uh, for, you know, the brand. You are creating networks and wherever possible you're adding value. So my philosophy with the Valley Chamber very early on was obviously I'm back in Brisbane, I need to get plugged back into the business community and I need to get those networks you know, re-established. But then also how can we as a radio network add value to the Brisbane business community because our commercial imperative is to have a healthy business community up here in Brisbane. You know, It's a big market. Um, I think people in our head office um, who are based in Sydney you know, they they have quite a bit of time and energy devoted to the Sydney market because it's such a big media market. But Brisbane, in its own right, is a, is a big capital city with a big population base. So there is just a need to make sure that, um, you know, the brands and the network are represented well in this market because it's a it's a big, important revenue market for us.
0: Yeah, definitely so. Since you started sort of working in the space, what sort of, what have been the main changes that you've seen I guess over the last seven to ten years? Sure,
1: well I mean, you know, in t- ten years ago, your, your options for advertising were relatively straightforward. You know, if you were a client, you could effectively buy some ads in primetime TV, you could do a bit of Brecky radio, you could throw something in the career mail on a Saturday and effectively you've got a pretty nice, nice campaign that hits the majority of the market. Um, these days, and, and it's certainly a positive shift, but these days, you know, there's so much more uh, or so many more uh, media channels available to people. And I think the biggest shift that I would've, I would've um, probably witnessed in my time is broadcast media still has certainly a place, but more and more, all these big broadcast medias like television, like print, like radio are increasingly making themselves digitally enabled businesses. So where people might be listening to radio they might also now have a need to listen to music streaming they might also want to listen to podcasting Um, they might also want to start listening into audiobooks and so where it's become really exciting and interesting for me is how do we now first and foremost create content across all those different platforms as well as radio because audio creating audio content is what we do it's what our sweet spot is how do we create different platforms for our audiences. And then I suppose the challenge that gets thrown to me is how do we now make money from that? So uh, as a big podcast listener myself and as a big fan of of particularly the podcasting space and what it can be, um, it's really exciting, but it's also quite challenging um, because you have to be a bit of a futurist. You have to figure out what the next trend is. You have to go and educate the market around what the benefits of these products can be. And whilst you're doing that, you still need to sell the story of radio, which is still you know, arguably the most robust broadcast medium, and still continues to grow.
0: Yep. Yeah. So with uh, radio in 2019, what sort of what what, what sort of uh, listenership I guess are there these days compared to what there may have been, say, seven to ten years ago as well? Is there because of the, what you what you're saying there? There's obviously probably less people listening to radio than there were seven or ten years ago or what What do you sort of what do you what do you no. sort of know i mean and this is backed up by data so it's yeah. not me giving yeah. a giving the sales spiel um
1: probably about 66 percent of all listening to audio is still radio okay so it's still live and local radio mm-hmm. the reason why radio continues to grow i mean it's still the number one medium for people i think under 25 it's okay. still the number one way people discover new music So. Despite the fact we're living in this world of music streaming where you can have any song
0: at your fingertips, we've got podcasting where you can listen to... But sometimes, I mean, people probably see radio as a starting point, don't they say, so, look, I need to listen to what the new songs actually are. Before well, streaming, yeah. Streaming.
1: yeah. I mean, it depends on the consumer. I mean, somebody like yourself who's maybe a bit more time poor, um, you don't have time to sit there and curate a playlist of 100 songs in Spotify, or maybe you do. I know you're don't. a big music okay. fan. But I well, think the, um, the thing that's really interesting for us is to go... Of all the audio that's being consumed, you know, 66% is still live and local radio. Now, why are they doing that? It's because if you live in Brisbane, you want to hear Brisbane people talk to Brisbane about matters that are important to us. Um, and I think in a world where we're becoming, you know, we've got so much stuff in our news feed of international news, we've got so many different options available with Netflix, with Stan, with on-demand content. You still want to know what's going on in your town and so radio has always been very good at being the sounding board for the market uh, podcasting and streaming that's kind of incremental listening so that's listening that you know if you think about streaming the U you know, is streaming taking away from radio listening well no because we've always listened to cds we've always listened to records so streaming is just another way to listen to your own music and podcasts are really interesting because they're filling in a different space of found time you know if I'm doing a monotonous chore around the house like cooking or cleaning suddenly having a podcast in the background makes it a bit more of an interesting task so it's an interesting space to be in and um just getting an understanding of the different reasons people go to different platforms is
0: is the first part of what we're doing yeah definitely so um I guess what we were talking a bit about music before um you obviously the bass is 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 the Instrument of choice. Um, have you, did, is there any other particular instruments that you that you sort of enjoy playing as well or have played? Yeah, yeah. Um, I play guitar as well.
1: Um, would now haven't actually ever played guitar live in a live setting, but use guitar to write a lot of songs. So guitar's a great composing tool. I've actually done a, a few recordings of just my own stuff, where it's me on bass and guitar, and a good drummer friend of mine's kind of subbed in for me and and completed it. But no, bass has been my primary instrument. And the beauty of bass is that you're very rarely out of work or out of a gig. Um, you know, I've had the, the luxury of, of being out of, you know, not seriously pursuing music since about 2010. And ironically, um, all the best stuff I've done in music has happened because people have just known that I play the instrument and have asked me to, uh, to sub in. So, you know, I've been invited to play a couple of gigs at St Kilda Fest down in Melbourne. Um, have been invited to record a couple of times down in Melbourne with some great producers, played Handpicked Festival down in uh, Adelaide, opening for Killing Heidi in the Veronicas, which was a bit of a wow. semi-career highlight. Um, and I say semi-career because it was never a career. But, but um, yeah, it's funny, you know, the things you run away from in life often uh, often chase you and vice versa.
0: Yeah, for sure. So um, just finishing with the music, so let's just sort of uh, understand what, what are the... We spoke a bit about some of the music that you've been involved in and seen and what have you, but what is your favourite type of music? I mean, who are your favourite artists over the history of of your life that you've seen? So it's funny, there's no real genre of
1: music uh, that I'd say is my favourite style of genre. I've always gravitated towards good songwriting. So, you know, I suppose the era of music I grew up in, I was at the late sort of at that late stage of the, uh, the grunge movement. So bands like Soundgarden, Pearl Jam, Alice in Chains, um, certainly uh, that Seattle grunge sound is, is still the music I listened to in those formative years and still the music I really enjoy. But I always liked the fact that it was well-written music. They were good songs. Um, then I moved into sort of really enjoying sort of more hard rock alternative kind of stuff. Um, and that's just a consequence of being... At that age where that was the popular music at the time, it was sort of the music I used to play growing up when I was learning the instrument. So bands like Metallica and, and, uh, and some of those kind of bands around that late 90s kind of period, that's really who I, who I learned to play or how I learned to play the instrument was with the cassette tape, rewinding and learning by ear and playing. I remember then, the old cassette tape. Hey? Yeah. So you sort of
0: were still there in that sort of era, as DVDs, sorry, as CDs were coming out. And yeah, straddled that, straddled that analog and digital generation.
1: And I got to tell you, like, um, the the resources available to musicians today, where you can go onto Instagram and and see these people playing, and see these instructional videos on YouTube, and have all this stuff built into your phone. I mean, back back in those days, it was a case of you'd learn by ear, or you'd go and buy a chord book, or you'd go and mm. buy um, you know, certain uh, there'd be certain musical kind of books you could buy that you'd have to learn the instrument, so you'd really have to grind it out. And you can see the calibre of people coming through. Some of these young players
0: are just phenomenal. You know, mm. technically brilliant players. Yeah. So when the when the iPod first came out, were you sort of what did you think of that technology back then? I thought it was good. I mean, it,
1: it was pretty clunky. You know, having everything on CD. Um, but I was there during that era of Napster too when that came out. <laughs> yes, Napster. Yeah. I mean, I think I think where it probably affected us the most as a band was we were still very much in those years of you put 10, 15 grand down, you go and record an EP, you get a whole bunch of them printed and you go to Skinnies and Rocking Horse and hope that people buy your CD. So that's very much how we used to make money. Um, so the digital the digital musical era kind of, as it came in, it was great in the sense that you could expose your music to a broader audience. It was there was less cost associated with it, but the actual monetization became a lot harder. Mm. And so what you see now is a lot of bands that are quite big artists, you know, that are touring artists. The majority of where they make their money these days isn't from selling their music; it's from selling merchandise and ticket sales from live shows. Um, whereas you know back
0: in the day, you, you you used to actually play shows as a bit of a loss leader to sell CDs. Uh, that's, it's interesting how that's changed but you can see that that's what they have to do in 2019 you have to make the best of that yeah i think and i think there's some
1: really really interesting business models that mm. that music, uh, musicians are creating for themselves so i think fundamentally it's a good thing um and at the end of the day as a as a lover
0: of music having more access to more music is always is always great Yep. so I guess uh, Valley Chamber of Commerce, when did you sort of first become involved with the Valley Chamber? So I moved back to Brisbane in 2016 um, from a couple of years down in
1: Adelaide and it wasn't long after I'd moved back that I, um, I made a point of coming along. Now, I don't know what the initial, whether there was an initial invite or what the initial catalyst to go was or even how I found out about the VCC, but I think I... I had just done a bit of a general search. Um, I'd always been a bit sceptical of uh, of Chambers of Commerce because I think, you know, probably from your experience too, Tim, It's it can often feel very uh, contrived and very awkward going in and it's just a bunch of people exchanging business cards and sometimes it doesn't feel like there's any real value or any real, I guess, um, I guess any real vision for what the Chamber is other than just to bring a bunch of people together. But what I immediately noticed from the VCC was that there was a really high caliber of, of member there in terms of some some very influential people that had some really good, um, you know, just some good networks that they were sort of, you know, they were privy to. And I thought also that it was just a well-run chamber, you know. There's always good content. It's an active chamber um, in terms of how frequent the events are and, and the different events. So I was just very impressed by it. And and so early on, I think I just got involved purely off the back of nothing else than just finding it always being a really good
0: event to attend. Mm. You probably like both uh, when it comes to meet and mingles or lunches um, because I've seen you at both of them and you're obviously fairly regular at uh, both types of VCC events but is there one you prefer over the other or? No I mean I,
1: I, I like them both for different things. I think the, the mix and mingles are great in the sense that they, you know, they showcase great venues around Brisbane, which is actually more beneficial than I think yes. um, people often realise. Is is being able to see sort of the new place. Um, I think that they're fairly, uh, certainly from the point of view of a guest, that they're, they're fairly good in the sense you can just come after work. Um, they're fairly relaxed in terms of their their uh, style, but then the lunches and the breakfasts are also great. I mean, I think one of the big things that was important to me in, in coming back to Brisbane was to forge more relationships with, you know, local council, state government, and certainly any sort of federal uh, member for Brisbane. Obviously, being Trevor Evans. Um, so I think having so a you, level. Have of, you had much to do with Trevor? No, I actually haven't. But um, you know, know of him like he he's obviously I live in his electorate and he's extremely active. So always say a quick good day to him. Definitely. Yeah, a good friend of mine actually works. Um, He's based in Perth, but he works uh, with the Attorney General, runs his office, and he said that uh, Trevor is extremely well regarded down in Canberra. Really good ambassador for Brisbane as well. So yeah, people like uh, like Trevor, like Vicky Howard, um, and certainly some of the more you know the corporate members at the VCC. It's uh, it's just a good environment to have the ability to be able to tap into those people where required if you need it.
0: Mm. I guess um, as far as other networking that you might do outside the VCC, is there anything in particular that that works as well or is um, what, what what other things do you sometimes get up to, I guess?
1: Yeah, look, I mean, there's a lot of, I suppose networking is, is not the exact right word for it, but certainly in the agency market, which is predominantly our customer base, you know, there's a lot of networking within that agency market, so... It's certainly my I guess my imperative is to is to know and have a relationship with every managing director and general manager and you know account director or group business director within the agencies and then beyond that certainly the, the chief marketing officers and, and some of the key business stakeholders in some of those larger clients in Brisbane. So that's uh, that's where a lot of my I suppose networking focus goes. and outside of that I think more and more what I'm really interested in is, getting, uh, I guess, networked into some of those growing industries out of the Brisbane market. So, you know, I know FinTech is a really interesting space that's starting to become a bit of a growth market out of Brisbane, so being able to network in those spaces and just get an understanding of what's going on there um,
0: of late has been has been interesting as well. Excellent. Um, <clears throat> I guess the, where do you, do you have any sort of predictions on the future of radio? What, what, what are we going to be thinking I think uh, radio is not going to die as far as it's still going to be around even in 10 years time but how do you think it will change? Look, I just think it's it's only or it's always
1: going to be around as long as as long as we continue to invest in really good content and really good personalities. You know, radio's key differentiator is, is good personality so I don't think it will change but I think you'll see increasing emphasis on having really good talents at the forefront of the radio brands. Um, I think where it'll change is that it'll become around more customization. I think you'll start to see more people moving into just audio in general. Um, audio as a, as a medium, when we talk about streaming, podcasting, audiobooks and radio, if you lump all of that together, I think we're just going to see people consuming more of it because there's going to be more good audio content available. And, you know, Uber data would suggest that, our average trip, certainly in Sydney and Melbourne, is taking a lot longer. I think it's 20% longer in, uh, in Sydney and 18% longer in Melbourne year on year. I mean, that's phenomenal. That's a massive growth in a place where already people are driving a long way to and from work. So that provides more opportunity for people to listen to more more audio. So, mate, I think the future's bright, but I think it's also um, one of those interesting areas where it's hard to predict the future. You've almost got to create your own destiny
0: in media rather than wait and see what happens. Yeah, that's, that's very good uh, analysis and points there. Um, I guess with podcasts, you said you listen to quite a lot of them. Uh, or We've listened to quite a few different ones. Whether you listen to them all regularly, I'm not sure. But uh, tell me which ones are your favourite podcasts to listen to? Oh, I love
1: love Joe Rogan. Um, Joe Rogan was like my entry point into podcasts because he's been doing it now for I'm going to, to say, say ten years. Ten years, years yeah. yeah, nearly. Um, so Joe Rogan is great. I mean, what I love about his podcast is that it's exactly the right medium for what he does. It's three hours, long-form conversation, completely unedited. On the opposite side of that, though, I'm really, I really enjoy anything to do with um, with business or personal development. So I'm a big fan of you know the HBR Idea Cast. I really enjoy. At the moment, um, there's a couple of podcasts that are a little bit sort of left of center that I like. There's one called, I think it's called uh, Where Should We Begin? This is a bit weird, but it's a good example of using a podcast format for something completely different. It's a a lady called Esther Perel who is a marriage counsellor based out of New York who actually records her marriage
0: counselling sessions. Now, I don't know... So hang on, she records her her marriage counselling sessions. Yeah, so she's a therapist and uh, and she has a husband and wife that are in turmoil. And and obviously the... uh so the, obviously, the, the patient obviously usually would have to authorize that. You'd say, <laughs> they you know? do, yeah. So their identity <laughs> is covered, but but they authorize it. But it's a really
1: it's so a really it, okay. interesting yep. example. I mean, the reason I bring it up is because just I suppose what we're talking about at the moment is different formats. You know, in podcast, a lot of people think of podcasts as you know what you and I are doing here, which is just having a conversation. But increasingly, you're seeing things like serial. You know, which is this high production value, really well produced investigative journalism podcast that's really kind of pushing the boundaries of what a podcast is. It's, it's no different to how HBO, when it first came out, showed how premium cable TV could be. So um, those are ones I'm getting into at the moment. Um, and I actually uh, have my own podcast that I've been producing too, which is called Media Sales Mastery. So it's a personal
0: one I do. I've done six episodes now. I'd certainly listen, listen to one of those episodes. I, uh, I think you were talking to some guys from Sydney from memory. Yeah, yeah. I, I, um, I think I may have shared it with you, mate. Yeah, yeah I did, did listen to some of that. That was quite interesting. That's for sure. So, what do, how do you sort of find your own podcast? Do you find that uh, something you enjoy doing, as as something you'd want to keep doing, or? Yeah, it's hard to find them. Hey, look, that's my big thing. It's, I think discoverability
1: of podcasts is is a big issue for the for the industry. Mm. Um, most of them you find by word of mouth. Mm. Um, some of them you find just by searching generic terms in the, yep. uh, you know, and and certainly our platform. We've got a platform called iHeartRadio, which is has the largest library of podcasts in Australia, that's probably, and I'm saying I sound biased, but I'm not, that's probably the easiest um, search tool of any podcast platform in the country in terms of being able to find what is relevant to you but also find
0: other similar podcasts that are similar to the ones you already like. So that's iHeartRadio, isn't it? Yeah. Okay, so make sure you write that down, listeners. Um, But, yeah, that's that's a good, uh, I guess snapshot of you with the podcast that you sort of like to get involved in um, as far as uh, traveling concern is concerned I know your job sort of taken to you to a few places especially around Australia but around the world where have you sort of uh, enjoyed uh, traveling to and uh, uh, what's so I guess your favorite travel destinations that you've been to before and if there's any that's on a bucket list that you want to get to
1: yeah sure um, I just recently got back from a trip to well Predominantly, it was uh, Nashville and New Orleans, wow. mm. um, which was probably one of my favorite trips in recent memory. We, uh, my wife and I did, we did LA, Nashville, New Orleans, and then we went down to uh, Cuba and Chulum, Mexico. Cuba? Yeah, yeah, which was which was really cool, really cool, like almost frozen in time. Is, is the way to explain
0: it. So, so that was frozen in time in mean, what sort of uh, looking like, is it sort of old style? Or? Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's still, it's still very much got the the style of kind of the fifties, the late fifties. So all the cars, um, certainly Classics. the architecture, I mean, that trade embargo, I think it's just recently lifted. Or one of the reasons we wanted to go to Cuba was because we were sort of going, this is probably be the last opportunity to see it in its current form before it starts to have a lot more tourism come through. Um, But going back to that point around favourite destination, I think Nashville has certainly been one of my favourite places I've visited recently. Done Europe before, you know, we we honeymooned in Sicily, which was fantastic. Um, Been mostly through Italy, New Zealand I always love to get to. Um, have done a fair bit of Southeast Asia but North America, certainly the USA is one of my favourite places to visit and I think that's just because I really enjoy going to the different musical kind of cities, you know, Seattle is probably
0: one of my favourite cities in the world. Yeah, I'm I'm jealous of that one, I love to go to some of these places. uh, Direct flights
1: into Vancouver at the moment, mate, so you can actually get a car and and drive down uh, to Seattle. From Brisbane
0: to Vancouver is direct, isn't it, I think I I saw that a few years ago even, that was pretty direct certainly need to get to to Canada have you done much of Canada I did Vancouver for uh, a day or two
1: and Mm. uh yeah that's a beautiful city it's funny that's a um you know that would have to be one of the best urban designed cities I've ever been to in terms of the way they've laid it out the way they've they've been able to create a high density city but but keep it clean have it really really well laid out in terms of transport and commuting and um, yeah, it's 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 sort of what so they it's call it
0: clean then. Yeah, okay.
1: yeah, it's sort of like best practice for how you would build sure. a city
0: in future. Yeah, okay, it's interesting. Um, and whereabouts haven't you been to that you that uh, you'd want to go to? Is there any any particular places?
1: Yeah, I mean, there's plenty.
0: There's plenty okay. of places. I think I'd love to get up to
1: um, Alaska at some point. Oh yeah. Yeah. You know, I just, you know, it's just one of those places that's always been worth having a look at. Um, and certainly the East coast of North America. So I've never done, well, i have never New done York. Montreal or Toronto or New York or yeah. uh, Boston or Chicago or anywhere like that. So yeah, certainly over that side would be great. And you know, we the wife and I are currently debating whether we try and do a white Christmas this year. Um, mm
0: it's just a it's an inexpensive uh, exercise to do I did that. that sort of last year around well, sort of a white Christmas in Germany and uh, and then went to Amsterdam so that was a quite interesting one yeah cool uh, who do you think I guess is the biggest sort of who are the people that have been the biggest influence on, on your life your career uh, who do you sort of uh, and do you have any mentors or anything like that
1: yeah I, I don't <laughs> I don't have a mentor um certainly not in the traditional sense you know there's been people through my career that have been somewhat um influential you know there's a guy called matt granger who i'd shout out to who was for for many years the national sales director um at arn and he he was great in terms of pushing me through my career path you know from being an account director to a group sales manager giving me a, a sales director job at 27 which is you know, a big risk. Um, typically it's a it's a job that you don't move into till you're much older and have a, a, a better base of experience. But he really backed yeah. me in for mm-hmm. that. Um, and, you know, has always been a big advocate. So he was certainly somebody who was very helpful. In terms of people that I look to for thought leadership outside of that, you know, I wish I could say one or two people, but um, I'm definitely a big self educator. So I'm sure there's probably a list of about 20 or 30 authors that if I went back and had a look, I would, I would be able to say they had a really big um, influence on me as well.
0: And what particular, you said you're possibly a book reader. I mean, what, what sort of books have you enjoyed? What, 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 I guess, is the more recent book that you've sort of read over the last few years that has given you something? I rave about this book all the time.
1: Um, I read a book called Never Split the Difference by a guy called Chris Voss. So it's a business book. It's about negotiation, but the the author was the head international hostage negotiator for the FBI for 20 years. And so the the idea of the book is that he's a guy who's been negotiating with warlords and terrorists and bank robbers and despots and hostage takers for 20 years. Amazing. and He shows how that all applies to business. Um, and the reason why it's probably been such an influential book is it's so counterintuitive to what you think business negotiation is, but it's so so easy, easy to actually take his techniques and apply them to a business context. So it's a really good book. I'd, yeah, I'd recommend anyone anyone who actually just wants to know more about human behavior, um, have a read of the book, it's
0: really interesting. Excellent, any, <coughs> I guess anything else that, uh, any other hobbies or any other interests that you'd like to, I guess, share whilst you're on the podcast today, Jamie? anything else? Mate, no, I'm pretty one dimensional in that sense. You know, I, I <coughs> love my
1: career. Um, I love business. I have a real natural interest in it, and you know, apart from sort of keeping fit and uh, and getting into um, you know getting into the music where I can, um, I just enjoy spending spending time with the wife. You know, we've got a got a little mini Dashend, uh who's five years old, and you know, we enjoy. She travels quite extensively for work midweek as well. So, between the two of us on the weekends, we live a very
0: a very nice, quiet, relaxing life. Excellent, that's the way to be. And well, I guess what, what motivates you going forward? I mean, what, <clears throat> where do you see your career going in the future? Do you see yourself still being in a similar sort of role in the next five to 10 years? Mate, I really hope so. Um, there's no question that media is a, is a
1: really tough industry to work in. You know, there's, there's a lot of pressure, um, particularly when you're in a commercial leadership role because you're accountable to deliver a number to the business um, and you're accountable to, to lead a team to do that. So what I like about it is the challenge between the revenue, you know, driving revenue, as well as the cost, but not use, losing the human element within that too. Still, kind of backing your people in, supporting them, um, growing and developing them. And so, I hope that um, I'll continue to stay in media. What I would love to do is to is to broaden my experience a little bit more into, I suppose, more of that operational side of media. So, you know, sales is one element of it, but more and more, what I'm enjoying is working across operations. So looking at things like CRM systems, looking at things like different workflows, different programs, um, really making sure that the operational side of the media business is set up so that it can, it can move into the future and, and, uh, and be a really dynamic, fast-moving kind of industry.
0: Excellent. It's been great to have you on the uh, podcast, uh, <coughs> the From the Valley podcast, episode 68. Uh, Jamie Wood from uh, 97.3 FM, Australian Radio Network. Um, that's that's been great. You've uh, told us quite a bit about yourself and quite a bit about uh, what your feeling is uh, when it comes to radio, when it comes to music, uh, when it comes to you know all lots of different things really. So I do thank you for uh, taking your you know first thing Monday morning appointment to come out here and uh, do the podcast, Jamie. It's been uh, it's been great to to listen to you. Um, any final words, mate? I just want to say, uh, you know, thank you to
1: you, Tim, because I think the, the Valley Chamber is only as good as the memberships and and people who actually go in and want to contribute value and want to want to be part of something and drive it forward. So I think what you're doing here is fantastic, mate. I'm a I'm a big advocate of podcasting. It's it's what prompted me to start my own. Um, but I think that same you know, yeah. keep doing what you're doing, mate, because. You know, podcasting, if nothing else, it's it's a long, it's a slow burn and you've got to play the long game. But uh, we won't share your downloads. But somebody who works in the industry, take it from me, mate. The downloads you're getting at the moment are very impressive and uh, are a good precursor to what will be, you know, ideally um, a really nice. Nice uh, year-on-year growth that you can move into next year. So. Yeah,
0: definitely. I mean, it's. Uh, I I'd always had a goal, Jamie, to do at least a hundred ep- episodes. We're, we're sort of more than two thirds of the way there now. So Great.
1: we're doing nine a month. is pretty, uh, pretty Nine. Good. I think
0: I don't think I've done nine in a month before. So that, that's sort of possibly a record for myself, but. Some I just got went at the start of the month and I just went boom 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 just let's set them up lined let's it up put, yeah and didn't have too many people uh, re- rejecting or you know we, we had one or two that might have changed but was still within the same month so yep. it's worked out quite well but uh, thank you very much for your support mate it's been uh, much appreciated we'll get uh, this up probably even today uh, and we'll share it around and uh, and there we go so that's been the from the valley podcast thank you very much
1: beautiful.